morning again as we continue to worship through our giving. As we finish that up, grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 27. We're going to be reading our text this morning. Psalm chapter 27, I'm going to be reading the entire thing, so follow with me, have your eyes on Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Take it home, mark it up, it's yours. We want you to fall in love with Jesus and the Scriptures. Psalm 27, the entire chapter, when you get there, look up at me. Say, I love the Psalms. All right, we're all there. Beginning in verse 1. When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, all right, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent, and He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me and turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off and forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're with us today. Um, if it's your first time here, you've chosen to be here on a, uh, on a great Sunday as we are starting a new series looking at the book of Psalms. And uh, the book of Psalms is really an ancient piece of literature. And um, really, uh, what's cool about it is the Psalms have been seen, um, I think we're fixing my mic if you, if you hear the ring, um, the Psalms have been seen even by believers and uh, non-believers alike. Um, and people who actually don't claim the way of Christianity or people who would say that they are not worshipers of God um, have all loved and studied the book of Psalms because it is just an ancient book of poetry. But it's uh, a book of the Bible that has many different authors. Uh, but as we're going to be looking, we're going to be seeing David as one of the predominant authors in the book of Psalms. And uh, if, if there's really an intro that I could show you, um, one of the reasons why I'm excited about this is one of the things that we're looking at is this idea of how to learn to express our emotions biblically. And um, I know this is profound for some of you, especially the guys in the room, that you have emotions. Wow, this is profound, right? And uh, we're actually created in the image and likeness of God. And uh, we see our God as, as having emotions all through the scriptures. And as he has created us in his image and likeness, we are also emotional beings. And um, maybe you're a little bit like me, maybe not. Maybe you've kind of got the rain on your emotions. But um, maybe you grew up in a household or grew up in a family where you didn't really learn how to express those well. 
Um, maybe you um, suppressed them, you didn't talk about them, or maybe you grew up in a family where it was just like unleashed, right? We just deal with our emotions as is, kind of wearing on our shoulder type of a thing. Um, and, and really, as I was thinking and praying and planning about this series, uh, I, I really thought about um, our home and, and what it's like at our house. Um, we have three kids, five and under, at our home, which is a statement and a prayer request all at the same time. And so uh, for the past, literally, when you think about it, five years, we have had um, little toddlers, little babies, diapers, kind of like I like to say for the past five years, somebody's been pooping in a diaper in our house. And so, um, but one of the cool things is what I love watching my wife, who does a phenomenal job with our kids, is whenever you get sort of the toddler phase, is these kids start learning um, words and they start learning to express themselves. But there's always that phase where, like, they're learning what an object is, and, and they're trying to express that, and, and, and they want that, and they desire that. But there's also a time where, like, they get really, really frustrated, and so they just sort of what I like to call their defense mechanisms, which are one of two. They either just get super, like, fishy in the floor and, like, flail about, or they get really stiff. You know what I mean? And that's one of the ways that they uh, express themselves. But in the moment of frustration, what my wife does a phenomenal job about is she'll say, hey, use your words. Look at me, get down on the level, and use your words. What do you want? What do you need? Look at me and communicate with me and use your words. And really when I think about the book of Psalms, I think about God as being a good father. And he's literally given us our words, our words to express ourselves with. For as we take a journey, we're going to see how to deal with anger, how to deal with doubt, how to deal with grief, how to deal with sadness, how to deal with joy. And God has literally given us the words that we could use ourselves to express in that moment. For we're going to see all kinds of emotions and I tell you what, studying this ancient book in literature, um, I've stumbled across a lot of guys, but no two men have lived and studied the book of Psalms like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It took him 20 years to write his commentary on the book of Psalms. And then also one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation, John Calvin. And John Calvin said in the preface to his commentary that this is what he would entitle the book of Psalms. Listen to this. This is so great. I have been accustomed to call this book... I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the human soul. Oh, nobody talks like that anymore, right? It's so good. And he says this, an anatomy of all the parts of the human soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life of all the griefs, sorrow, fears, Doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, and in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. Wow, that's phenomenal, right? Basically what he's saying is what God has given us in the book of Psalms is literally a book that's like an anatomy of the human soul and emotions. And here, before it's anything, before it's anything at all, it is human beings expressing their emotions, oftentimes raw, real, and uncut. 
And so believers and non-believers alike for years have, have loved studying the book of Psalms just as ancient literature in of what it is. But today as we look in Psalm 27, we're sort of diving right into the series. The background for Psalm 27 is that David, who is king of Israel at the time, is actually running for his life from King Saul. And if you would think about it in modern day terms, Saul was president, but he sort of got impeached. And David is actually president, but he's running for his life because Saul doesn't want him to actually be president. And so we see David literally running in caves and and hiding for who he is and literally fearing for his life. Really, the main emotion in Psalm 27 is this idea of fear. And as I studied this week um, and, and talked to some people who are, uh, who are professions in psychiatry and counseling, I, I learned that, that fear and anxiety are actually like sisters. You actually can't separate them. All fear causes some sort of anxiety, and all anxiety causes some sort of fear. And what I love about as we are looking at this ancient text and literature, like I love science. I mean, it is 2017. Praise God for the iPhone and air conditioning. You know what I'm saying, right? Like I love modern medicine. And so I believe in chemical imbalances and thyroid and medicine and and all of this stuff. But what I want to do is as I look in this series, I want to look at maybe what if God, years before all of this, has already given us our words, if you will, to deal with these emotions. And really when it comes to fear and anxiety, as I studied this week, this isn't like a topic, this is like the topic. Um, Literally 30% of Americans report as having or living with chronic fear or anxiety. 30% of Americans live with a reported chronic fear or anxiety. Last year, the U.S. spent alone $42 billion in anti-anxiety medication. $42 billion. Which some of them, actually, you can buy anti-anxiety medicine for your dog. Because life's tough chasing the car. You know what I mean? When the mailman delivers the mail, I just lose my mind. I don't know what to do about that. I'm sure there's anti-anxiety medicine for cats, but that's a whole different story, okay? It's not in this sermon. (laughs) But like, think about that. 30% of Americans, $42 billion. So we're probably not talking about a subject. We're talking about the subject. And maybe some of you would would say, yeah, for, for a majority of my life, I've I've dealt with chronic fear. I've dealt with chronic anxiety. And oftentimes when I meet and and talk with people and sort of flesh this out, this fear and this anxiety is almost like a prison. It, It limits the joy in life, and there's always something around the bend to be fearful of and to be anxious about. And so today, really, what what I've been praying and what Pastor Tyler and I have prayed for, I think today, you you need to pray about this. I've worked on this outline so it would be memorable for you, but maybe today you, you write this outline in the front of your Bible. I think today is one of those messages like, in case of emergency, break glass type of a thing, and to keep around for us. Because I believe that Psalm 27 is going to help us fight fear and anxiety. So we have to answer this question 
What do I do when I'm afraid? And what do I do when I'm anxious? And the first thing that I see is this. We recall what we know to be true. In the moment of anxiety and in the moment of fear, you recall what you know to be true. Because that's what I see that David's doing really in the first two verses. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? What's David doing in the psalm? David is talking to himself. Right? It's only a problem when you then begin to answer yourself, is what I've always heard, right? But David is speaking, David is talking to himself. And what is he saying to himself? He's saying, I know this to be true. And when I was thinking about this message, and you're just going to have to forgive me, this is just the way that my mind works. Um, whenever I was in college, I had a buddy, and him and I, like I like to say, we did so well in college, they asked us not to come back for a little bit. They like told us, you're doing really good. Why don't you take a break? You know what I mean? And so, um, and and I just don't know any other way to say this, but like my buddy did a lot of drugs, okay? (laughs) Like, you know, and it's up for speculation whether I did or not, but that's not in this sermon. And so like, so my, and it was always like psychedelic drugs, okay? And so my buddy would like, we would be out having a good time and he would lose his mind, become very paranoid. One time we had to seek medical attention, And so one of the ways that he tried to cope with doing drugs and not losing his mind, because God forbid you stop using drugs, right? That's probably the solution to the situation there, right? Is in the moments when reality would get blurred and he wouldn't know what's really real, is he wrote on a post-it note and would put it in his pocket, you are on drugs, everything will be okay in the morning. And so as he's like freaking out, losing his mind, he like reaches in his pocket and is like, oh, I'm really high, right, okay, right? And like when I thought about that, I thought, could we learn from an idiot that did drugs, right? (laughs) I think so. Because listen, don't let the illustration lose the point. In the moment when he could not focus upon reality, he had anchors within his life that he said, I know this to be true. I know that reality is blurred in my mind and all of these things are happening, but I know this to be true and this tells me there's something beyond this situation. And that's what David's doing. David's saying, I'm hiding in a cave. I am hiding for my life. I am fearful. Anxiety is all around me, but I know this to be true. And what does David know to be true? What is David recalling in his life? The first thing is this, that God is good. That God is good. Because you see, he uses a metaphor in the poetry. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Did you know that colors actually play a psychological effect on your mind? That's why when you go in casinos, it's dark. There's no clocks on the wall. There's no windows. There's certain colors when you go into a movie. Some of you guys are like, I had no idea. Time just flowed every time I was in there, right? Marketing companies know this, and they know that colors play an effect on your mind funny that fear and anxiety is actually darkness. Some people have a fear of just complete darkness. They lose their mind. And David says, years before we understand the human brain, years before we understand how colors intertwine with the eyes and make us feel certain emotions, David said, God is 
light. And we see all through the Old Testament that light is a sign of life. And that David says, in the darkness and in the midst of the unknown, I know that my God is good. Man, this is something for us to learn about. Because I think many of us have the tendency to view God through our life circumstances. So if I was to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and were to ask you, what is God like? You would say, God is unpredictable. God is mean. God is cruel. And then I would ask you about your life. How did you come to this understanding? And you would say, well, it's because of this experience and this experience. And in the reality, what you're doing is you're viewing God through your life experiences. But what David said is, says is we can't view God through life. We have to view our life through the lens of God. And the first fundamental truth that we see the pages of Scripture open with in Genesis is that God is good that his creation is good, that his order and everything that he has put in place is good. But God is not only good, but that God is faithful, that he's faithful. Do you see what David says? He says that the Lord is a stronghold of my life, of whom I shall not be afraid. And then verse 5, for he will hide me in his shelter, and in the day of trouble he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. It's incredible, right? Like, you ready for this? This is deep, deep theological insight into the text. I mean, you can't even get this stuff in seminaries, man. You ready for this? Rocks don't change. Deep this morning, deep. Rocks don't change. And David is saying that God is like a rock in my life. And that those circumstances and those situations always give way around me. My God is always the same. Do you understand that that's why we have that promise in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5? For our God, Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because we have to have something that's never changing for us to attach our life to, right? Oh, you thought that you could attach your life to your career, and that would never change. Or you could attach your idea, to, uh, your, your identity to a relationship. Or you could attach who you were according to your circumstances. And here's one of the fundamental things that David is telling us. That your feelings, oh, they cannot be trusted. Because your feelings are fleeting. And your feelings are dependent upon your circumstances. But what David says is, I have to recall what I know to be true. In the midst of fear and anxiety, because, I mean, like, let's think about it. What does anxiety do? Anxiety takes a future possibility and makes it a present reality. Anxiety requires that you live a certain way in light of what? What if? What if in the future, so now live your present like this? But when we understand in our life that what we have these pillars in our life, that no matter what happens, all of these things hold true, then we can say what Job said, the Old Testament figure. Literally, Job's life changed in a day. Everybody that he knew died. His business literally crumbled underneath him. But here's what he says in Job 19.25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. Listen, here's what Job did not say. Here's what I feel. Listen, man, I'm trying to give you a message for Monday. I could give nothing about your feelings, okay? Okay. 
It's not about sunshine and rainbows and the warm and fuzzies. I need truth in my life. I need a rock for Monday because listen to me, the greatest illusion in your life is that you are in control. For no one is exempt from your life changing from a phone call right now. And you actually think that you're in control. And so when this reality comes true in your life, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go when all control is taken out of your hands? Here, listen, if you could just etch and sketch this on your heart, it's this. I know always beats what if. I know. I know blank always beats what if. I know what? I know that God is good. Though my circumstance isn't good, though the report from the doctor isn't good, though the situation with my family isn't good, God is not subject to my circumstances. I know that God is good, and I know that God is faithful. We did this in the first service, and I love doing this. Raise your hand if you yourself or someone that you know has had a specific prayer answered. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise it up high. Look around. And you think he's going to stop answering them now? God has the most faithful track record. The most faithful track record. And what David says is in the moment when everything's caving in around me, I have to go to what I know is true, not what I feel, not the warm and fuzzies, not the kumbaya around the campfire, but rocks in my life. And what are the rocks? I know that God is good and I know that God is in control. And what's the second thing that he does? The second thing that we have to do is we have to refocus our eyes. We not only recall what we know to be true in the moments of fear and anxiety, but we also have to shift and we have to refocus our eyes. Look at what David says in verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, right? Walking dead in ancient times, right there. My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, My heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. You know what you should be asking? When we read the Bible, we should ask questions because that's how we learn. You should be asking this question. How, David? How? When an army surrounds you, when death is facing you, you keep saying that you will not fear. How? Verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then here it is, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Isn't this profound? Augustine says that this is the secret to anxiety because David says the phrase one thing. How opposite is this of feared anxiety? Because when you're fearful and you're anxious, everything's a possibility. Not just one thing. That's why I have anxiety. It's not just one thing. I'm losing my mind right now, right? There's all kinds of possibilities now because it's the thing and it's the job and it's the phone call and then what is? Oh, I know what you're going to tell me now, but then I got the thing over here and it's, oh, I got all this stuff now on the table. But what David says is this, oh, don't miss it. This is the key to all of this is that the only way, the only way that I'll actually be safe, the only way that I'll actually be free from anxiety is if I'm viewing one thing. And what's the one thing? The one thing's the beauty God. For this is what every human heart longs for. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. For we are worshipers by default. Look at our society. 
billion dollar stadiums for sporting events. American Idol. I mean, we are worshipers by our very nature. And what David is saying is, if there's one thing that will keep me safe, it's the one thing that I'm viewing, and that one thing has to be the beauty of God. I saw this um, played out in my life a few years ago. Um, Courtney scheduled a time for Roman and I to go to the local circus here in Popper Bluff. I tell you what, man, it was a blast. It was a ton of fun. Roman was three years old, and then as I'm like, we're paying our tickets, they're like, you know, keep him close by you at all times. And I just realized like how, how dumb human beings are, right? Like I just paid money to go into a room with my three-year-old son where there's lions, elephants, all kinds of stuff, stuff that could take us out in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? And I paid money for this, right? I paid money like to end up on YouTube. The lion went crazy at the local, you know, circus here today. And like, ah, and we think that we can control it. Yeah, right. Okay. And so we're getting ready to go in and he's seeing all this stuff. And I'm like, how he's three, how is he going to sit next to me and watch this whole thing? And then the lights went dark and then the ringleader came out and it was so cool. It was just an incredible show. And when it happened, I just snagged this picture and he was just, still. He was just still. Because why? Because he was in awe of the wonder of the moment. Isn't that what David's saying? My son wasn't fearful. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't squirmy. He wasn't wandering around. He wasn't antsy. Because why? Because he beheld the beauty of the moment. And what David is saying is the only thing that can sustain me, the only time that I'm ever safe is when my eyes are fixed upon the beauty of God. Because you know what fear and anxiety is like? Fear and anxiety is sort of like what smoke is to a fire. Here's what I mean by that. For you can always follow the smoke to a fire. Wherever there's smoke, there's going to be a fire. And if you follow your fears to the source, you will follow your fears to a false God that you are serving. Because we say this all the time. Anxiety enters into your world when you are at the center of your world. When you place your career at the center of your life and gaze upon its beauty, and then all of a sudden a threat to the job happens, that's when fear comes or whenever you want to just provide for your family, and you're so taken over by providing for your family that you miss the very family in which you're providing for. Because why? Because it's become the one thing that has attracted your eyes and the heart of worship. Tim Keller says it this way, anxiety is always the result of the implosion or collapse of a false god. Of course. Because when we place our heart's affections and our functional savior for that career or that... And listen, in church, we cover it up with all kinds of language, right? So maybe you're like dating in here or like about to be married. And I don't know what you're saying. Like, I'm just worshiping Jesus. I'm just worshiping Jesus. I'm worshiping Jesus because Jesus is going to bring me a man, right? Right? And that man's going to have a J-O-B, baby, right? But I love Jesus. I'm praying. I got one eye open looking for that man out there, Right? I mean, come on. You're using God as like a genie there. Or safety. 
right? I'll come to church, I'll pray so nothing bad can happen to my family. And then when threat of health or something happens, then what happens? Anxiety and fear and all of these things set in. And what David is saying is in the moment, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Because you are looking and viewing at the one thing that your heart desires. That's why in the book of Isaiah, one of the, I mean, this is a scripture to keep, like in case of emergency, break glass. It says this, Isaiah 26, 3 through 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord your God is an everlasting rock. How does God keep him in perfect peace? He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him, whose eyes are fixed upon the beauty of God. And your question should be, Jason, how does my mind stay fixed upon God? Which is the third point, you run to God in prayer. You run to God in prayer. Oh, listen. God uses fear and anxiety in your life to reveal what you really worship because here's why. In the moments when fear and anxiety come into your life, what do you run to? You crack open the wine bottle. You run to the pill cabinet. You just get a couple more hours in at work just to get the thing, just to do it. Because listen to me, in that moment, those are your functional saviors. Do you run to that computer screen? Where do you go in those moments to find relief and to find safety? Because what David does, the whole psalm shifts in verse 7. Do you see it? He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. He's now shifted the whole psalm into this idea of going into prayer. And here's what I love about David. When fear and anxiety and everything pop up, David does not get on Facebook. David gets on his face. There's a profound difference. David doesn't call up the friend that he knows is going to talk him into the situation and say the things that he wants to say. You know what kind of friend you need in Jesus' name? You need this kind of friend. That when you call and you say, I'm going through this or this, they say, hey man, I love you and in Jesus' name, you're an idiot. Let me pray for you. Because we're all two steps away from stupid. And what David says is in this moment, what you run to is what you love. What you run to to find refuge and strength and find peace and comfort in the moments of fear and anxiety. What you run to is what you love. And David says that he runs to God, but he gives us some characteristics of prayer. And the first characteristic of prayer is this, that prayer is honest. Look in verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, all scholars agree that we don't have anything in history that shows that David's parents forsook him. Well, what's David doing? David's doing the exact opposite of what all the self-help books tell you to do. Because here's what the self-help book tells you to do. To avoid that fear, to avoid that anxiety, to think positive thoughts, to sing kumbaya, and I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, right? And David says, no, you don't need to do that. You need to imagine the worst case scenario and look it in the face. And you need to ask God, I'm fearful of this. God, I'm fearful of my kids running out on me. God, I'm fearful that the doctor's going to call and it's going to be this news. God, I'm fearful of this. Because listen to me, in the moment when we're the most honest, and like, 
why is it all the time that Christians in church, like it's nothing like the scriptures. Because this is how Christians think you're supposed to pray. Oh God. Oh God. Who are you talking to, man, right? Who is listening to this? And why does it all of a sudden go in King James? Thus saith God, right? Have you ever prayed like this? I don't know. I don't know what to say. Because in those moments, Romans 8 says that the Spirit intercedes with us for groanings that are too deep for us to understand. When's the last time that you were laid bare before God? Like, you know, some of you, like, listen, man, when you're down, you don't need a pep talk. You need a prayer time. And you just need to tell God how you feel. Did you know it's okay to tell God you're mad at him? I know some of you fundamentalists are like, what? What? I better not, right? God can handle it. It's okay. Because in those moments of honesty, of being laid bare before God, in saying, if this is the worst thing that happens in my life, God, you've got to meet me here. Not this fluffy stuff, but here. If you meet me here, then I know that everything will be okay. Real prayer is honest. And then the next thing is this. Real prayer is humble. Look at how he prays. Look in verse 11. Teach me, O Lord, your way. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. I love what David is doing. David is asking more than he is telling. Oh man, what would our prayer life look like if we listened more than we talked? Because I know none of you are like me. Because sometimes I tend to tell God things in prayer as if God doesn't know. God, do you know the deadline on this thing? And God, this is happening. And God, do you know how big the situation is? And God, do you understand? David doesn't go to God in prayer like that. He goes to him first and foremost, honest, and then he goes to him humbly saying, saying this, do whatever you want. Some of you are so fearful to pray that because you're going to surrender control when you pray that. And in order to be honest and in order to be humble, we just have to say, teach me. And listen, you can't give God stipulations on how he's going to teach you. You can't say, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't want you to teach me like this. I didn't need to learn this way. I needed you to learn this way where I'm really comfortable and in all of my strengths. Because most of the time, God is going to strip you bare. But in those moments when he strips you bare, those are the moments when you lean into him the most. You see, we run to God in prayer. And then the last thing is so counterintuitive. It's something that you're just going to hate. But we not only recall what we know to be true, right? We not only run to God in prayer, but the last thing is this, that we rest in God's sovereignty. You say, Jason, what do you mean rest? You mean get to work, right? Um, no, I don't. Look in verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Jason, what do you mean wait? You mean like get to work and do this other stuff, right? No, I don't. I mean wait. Because here's what's interesting. You can't wait and be in control at the same time. That's why David said, listen, 
I've tried to put my hands on this thing many times. This past week, uh, Courtney was running some errands, and so I had all three of the kids at the house, and this just came to me, and I don't know, maybe this will be helpful. But in those moments, I'm fighting to survive. I'll just be honest with you. All three kids, I'm like, 30 minutes has only gone by, right? Oh, no. And Roman wanted to play science. Science, which is code word for make a mess, okay? So we got a little science kit for Christmas, and it's got all these little beakers and some food coloring and stuff. And I told him, I said, hey, bud, let's just wait. Like, like, let's wait till mom comes home, and then we can go outside, and we can play this, and we can do all this. And then I was dealing with um, Andy Grace, which is a full-time job in and of itself. And so Roman was kind of gone. And I, and I went into our little office area, and Roman had science. And he had science everywhere. Science was in the carpet. Science was over here. And then he tried to clean it up. And he had food coloring. And it was just a blue mess is what it was. And, and I just thought, this is what it is when we don't wait. We get it everywhere. And how much heartache, listen to me, would you save yourself? Not God. Listen, don't blame God for your mistakes. Because you've tried to do this thing in your own strength. This is what it's like when we don't wait. We get it all over us. And we get it everywhere. And God, like a good, gracious Father, comes in and He cleans all of this up. But listen, we don't just sit there and do nothing, because I know that's what a lot of you are saying. So I'm just supposed to wait and do nothing? No, no, no. Look at what David says. Look at what David says in verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices, and I'll shout for joy, and I will sing and make a song to the Lord. Listen, this is how we wait. We wait by worshiping. Listen, waiting is not passive. Waiting is active. Oh, and if you want to know what true worship is, True worship is lifting those hands, bowing those knees, and saying, you are good, and you are faithful, despite knowing what the outcome is going to be. Because listen to me, the outcome is not your responsibility. The outcome is God's. But what he's given us in those moments is to wait and to press in and to lean into him. But there's really a key to this whole psalm, right? David is worshiping under the Old Testament way to worship. Oh, but he gives us some hints. This is the best part. He gives us some hints to the psalm for us in the here and now. Verse 1 says that God is light. You know, it's the only direct Old Testament reference of equating God with light. And all through the Old Testament, we see this illusion of God being like light in the midst of the darkness. But what does this matter for you and I now? What's the practical boots on the ground? What does the gospel have to do with this? What does Jesus have to do with this? Well, in John chapter 8, during the festival of lights, Jesus stands up and he says these words. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you see the peace that God offers you is only found in the person of Christ. This is where the fulfillment is. And then David says this, that I would worship in your temple. That I would live literally in your tent. Do you know what David would have thought? 
Here's what you have to understand about the Old Testament temple. Um, there in Jerusalem, the temple was at the center of the city. So wherever you went, whatever business you did, whatever trade that you did, the temple, everything revolved around the temple of God. And do you know what David would have saw in the temple? He would have seen a bloody floor and animal sacrifices constantly. And he would have seen a God who answers prayer. And in those moments, he would have seen a God who was holy, who needed satisfaction for sin, but a God who also provided that way. And now fast forward. Do you know why Jesus was murdered? Think about it. Jesus wasn't murdered for like feeding homeless people. Jesus wasn't murdered for raising dead people to life. Jesus was murdered on account of blasphemy. Because do you know what he said about the temple? In John's gospel, in John chapter 2, the Jews say this, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you will raise it up in three days. And here it is, verse 21. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. So now imagine this. Oh, please don't miss this. Imagine this. David now, under the Old Testament covenant is saying, if I could just get in the presence of God, if I could just make it into the temple, if I could just see those sacrifices, if I could just see what God requires for his holiness and for his grace, then I should not fear anything and all anxiety would give way. And how much now as we as followers of Christ under the new covenant, as Paul says in first Corinthians, now we behold the beauty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now that our temple is not found in a place Place, but our temple is found in the person of Jesus Christ and that temple lived and that temple died and then three days later that temple was now resurrected saying this that our greatest fears have come true that's how you fight fear and anxiety you know that right your greatest fear has already come true because the gospel says this you are so much worse than what you could ever imagine and you are more loved than you could dare believe. That's why it's all about Jesus. So how do we fight fear? We fight fear by fixing our eyes on the beauty of God only found in Jesus Christ. Only found in Jesus Christ. That's why you directly have to relate fear and anxiety to the person of Jesus. Because now then the Apostle Paul says things like in Romans chapter 8, who can now bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, and it's God who has justified us in Christ. So now what can separate us from the love of God? For it is neither hepth nor, it, it is neither height nor depth, nor nakedness, nor famine, nor demons, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. No fear and no anxiety. Be, well, what can now separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus? And knowing that nothing can remove that from you. The band's going to come and lead us in a time of response. So what does this mean for you today? What does this mean for you? It means that some of you came in living in a prison of fear and anxiety. Living as a slave to what if. But today we proclaim what we know. And what we know is that the beauty of God found in Jesus Christ if our eyes are fixed upon that, if we recall that, if we run to that, then no matter what happens in our life, then we're okay. And a real life practicality of this is by the English missionary 
Alan Garner. And I'll close with this. Alan Garner was an English missionary who was going off the coast of Spain. And he was going on a new missionary journey. They were highly unfunded. They didn't have the proper supplies. They had too small of a boat. It was too long of a journey. The odds were set against them. And they crashed their boat right off the coast of Spain. And back then, I mean, you you didn't have a flare. You just hoped that somebody saw you. They died some of the most brutal deaths, starvation, out in the sun, a lot of fear. And what we know about Alan Garner is that he died and laying next to him is this, his journal. This is all recorded in history. And in his daily journal, he wrote the last day that he was alive, Psalm 3410. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want a good thing. And these are the last lines that Alan Gardner ever wrote in his journal. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness and majesty of God. That's what we offer you today. We offer you something to build your life on when you're dying of starvation, when the doctor says it looks like cancer, when the phone call says they didn't make it. I'm not offering you warm and fuzzy with feelings. We're offering you a rock, and that rock is the gospel. And Jesus says, if anyone would build his life upon this, that when the storms come and the winds blow, they shall remain. Because the goodness of God is all that we have. Despite the circumstances, lay those down today. Be free. Come to the table. Behold the beauty and the wonder of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. There are men and women in this room today who are slaves to fear and anxiety. God, we are so exhausted because these false gods constantly make us sacrifice constantly make us serve them, constantly make us live in fear and anxiety. And today, through your word and through Psalm 27 and through this series of learning to express our emotions biblically, we ask the one thing, the one thing that our hearts and our minds would be fixed upon would be the beauty of God only found in Jesus Christ because you are the light of the world and you are the true temple where the presence of God never goes away. Holy Spirit, have your way with us in this room today. May we lay down these false gods and may we pick up the grace found in your body and in your bloodshed. We pray this in the mighty and in the holy and in the risen name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand here?